Welcome, Earthlings, to The Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. My name's Adam. And my name is Mork. Hi, Mork. How's it going? What happened in Jeremy? Nanu, Nanu. <laughs> I put him in an egg and I sent him back to my home planet. Well, don't call me Mindy. <laughs> this one's uh, Uncanny X-Men number 200, the December 1985 issue on sale September 10th, 1985. Cover price of $1.25, because yes... It's double-sized, y'all. Yay! Oh, it's called The Trial of Magneto. Yeah, and on the front, you've got a Magneto in Magneto robes in chains, bound by his leg and his feet, and behind him fight Rogue, Colossus, Cyclops, Wolverine versus two blonde kids. <laughs> um, yep. <laughs> I mean, we've met these blonde kids before, but I don't know that we've seen them in costume yet, have we? No. Yeah, so. In it, fact, we've kind of spoiled who they are because we keep saying their last names, but I don't think it's actually revealed until this issue. Yeah, I think, yeah, my bad. I think I did that. I'm, I'm pretty sure I did it too. <laughs> um, there's some, there's a new, uh, there's a new drawing, some new drawings in the Marvel box. Oh. We got Rachel Summers in the house now and Magneto up at the top. Got a new drawing of Kitty Pride, new drawing of Rogue. Everybody else kind of looks the same. Yeah, I'm not sure I like this Rogue, but it's there. Uh, Let's see how long this lasts. The Kitty is better. I feel like the Wolverine is slightly different. As I flip back and forth between 199 and 200, like the mouth seems a little different, and maybe his little cowl things are a little bit further apart. Yeah, I guess he's taller in 199 than 200. And Nightcrawler's different because he's got shadowing on his chin, but not in 199. He doesn't have any shadowing on his chin. Colossus is... They're all different. They're all different. Yeah. Even Cyclops. The main different ones are... Yeah. Okay. I'll give you that. Uh, Yeah, this is a double-sized man. Like you said, it's Chris Claremont writing, John Romita Jr. and Dan Green artisting. Glennis Oliver's coloring and uh, Tom Orzakowski's lettering and Nocenti is editoring and Jim Shooter is editing in chiefing. <laughs> it says Jim Shotter. Jim Shot. Oh my gosh, you're right. Jim Shoter. <laughs> I think we have a new name for him. Um, this was like, for me, this was like the first X-Men comic I've been collecting for quite some time, but this is like the first X-Men comic that I read of this period. I mean, I'd, I'd read a lot of stuff from the 90s, but I never went back and read. And then one day a friend of mine had this and I picked it up and read it and I was like, huh, this isn't bad. How about that? And that friend wasn't me? No, it was not you. Uh, this was um, this was in college. Oh, wow. I guess that makes sense. I don't think I actually ever owned this issue until very recently. Well, then how could it have been you? I don't know. Maybe, I don't know. <laughs> I had a lot of old X-Men comics uh, back then, but not this one. Um, so I find it surprising that you'd never read any of the old stuff. I don't know why. It just, maybe maybe I'm, okay, let's put it this way. This is the first one I remember reading. I might have skimmed through some of your old issues, but I think I just, I'm guessing that I found it a little overwhelming. Well, I mean, without context... Uh, and the probably random smattering I had, it's probably difficult to care or maintain any sort of tire, uh, storyline. Like, I gotta be honest, uh, this, so I've read this before, Marvel Masterworks, but not Marvel Masterworks, but the essential, uh, Uncanny X-Men, and none of it stuck. <laughs> so reading this, this time, connected a lot of dots that had not been connected before. So you're saying you've read this issue, but you've never really read this issue. That's exactly what I'm saying. Hmm. 
Um, and I would almost, I would almost say that this issue kind of uh, says farewell to the old and ushers in the new. Well, it is number two hundred. It makes sense that that would be something that uh, Chris Claremont would want to do. Yeah, yeah, and and I believe he succeeded. I'll point out some of the areas that um, I guess I didn't that connected things um, that I only just assumed later, or I I did, had just never seen. Okay, but. Uh, we last left Magneto being captured by Freedom Force. Spoilers, Freedom Force is not present in this issue, except for a flashback. Um, he is being led to his uh, trial. So last episode you asked why the annual was not inserted in between 199 and 200 in the ghosts. And now I'm wondering if it's just because they, they wanted to preserve the continuity of the story. Ah, it's a really good question. Um, the uh, Ghosts does have a one-page insert between 199 and 200 where they talk about the Asgardian Wars, which is its own trade paperback. Right. So that could be the other reason, is they just want to sell more hmm. trade paperbacks. I mean, really, if you're reading 199 and 200, other than one page, it kind of flows seamlessly. Well, yeah, and if you just read this blurb, I mean... We we covered the heck out of those Asgardian wars. This sums it up in two paragraphs and basically gives you all of the information you need to go from 199 to 200. And really, you don't even need this information other than to be like, how did Storm get there? Yeah, I don't know that I ever read. I don't like I only read X-Men Annual 9 and the Essentials. And I'm sure I didn't read New Mutants Special Edition. Oh, same but here. I, I don't know. I guess it didn't really matter while I was reading them. I was just like, oh, that's interesting. Well, it happened somewhere else. I think I pointed out in X-Men Annual Number 9 that I, I think it was written in such a way that by reading New Mutant Special Edition, it's like you're getting the full story. But the way that that story starts, <clears throat> I mean, it summarizes it like, Storm's on vacation with the New Mutants, and now they're captured. Let's go to Asgard, everybody, which any Marvel comic could start with and you'd be like okay I, i'm I, I buy it i don't need to see all that stuff you just said yeah it's more like if you're reading the new mutants then this kind of matters to you yeah but if you're not and it really doesn't that's true i'd be mad if so, i was a new mutants fan because you do have to read the x-men annual nine to get the full story yeah that is a that, that's mean man i know i'm making me spend my hard-earned money on some x-men crap which i don't want <laughs> so this uh this is kind of cool we get uh a journalistic breakdown from NPR's own Neil Conan about the life and times of Magneto. I believe this is not the last appearance of Neil Conan. But it is the first appearance of Neil Conan. Indeed. I looked it up. Uh, and he's a real guy, you know. He sure is. And we do. We talked about this a while ago. I was always wondering if they were going to talk about um, Alpha and Magneto reverting to a baby state, and it's definitely referenced here. We get a little background of uh, Magneto's first attack uh, in X-Men number one on Cape Citadel to his ultimately being reverted to a child, um, and then him coming back to an adult and trying to take over the world. All the way up to him being uh, captured by Freedom Force, as we saw in issue 199. And he is, um, in the opening we get and we see him I guess, being led to trial. His hands are locked down as though that's going to stop him somehow. This is really dumb, really. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think the point is that Magneto, he even said in the last issue, is like, I'll, I'm not going to fight. I'll serve or I'll stand trial and I'll let the people decide. So this is obviously yeah, I, all I, for sure. I get that. But like, who's the guy who said like, 
Let's lock him up in a metal thing because that'll really help. Well, they don't know what to do. They're like, uh, <laughs> this is what we normally do with a criminal. Is it though? They're they fo- locked up his hands. <laughs> they're they're fight. They're they're just following protocol. Somewhere there's a standard operating procedure that says if you capture the master of magnetism, bind his hands in in metal because the hands are the source of his magnetic power. They don't they don't know. They don't know. <laughs> they're just making it up like the rest of us. So we learn that the uh, trial is being held at the uh, Paris historic Palais de Justice, which to me screams like, why would you want to held it in a place where it, it can get like destroyed? <laughs> Did you not see issue 199? They destroyed like a Jewish <laughs> temple right. thing place. Um, yeah, I don't. They, they say that it was decided to shift venues from the Hague o- o- over to the Palace de Justice, but they they don't really say why, do they? I don't know. Um, no, they don't say why. <laughs> don't, there will be no jury, and the five judges have been drawn from the permanent members of the United Nations Security Council: France, Greece, Britain. Oops, France, Great Britain, the People's Republic of China, the Soviet Union, and the United States. So the world is well represented at this uh, closed-door trial of Magneto. Yeah, you think about it, it's a pretty big deal. Everybody knows who Magneto is, and they're having the trial of Magneto, and mutant hatred is at an all-time high. Yeah. And he's enemy number one if you don't like mutants. True that. Uh, And then we have the prosecuting attorney uh, from England. His name is Sir James Jasper. And the defense counsel is comprised of two people who we know, one Gabrielle Holler and Charles Xavier. Now, James Jasper, we met before in the pages of Captain Britain. Oh. He was the reality-bending bad guy. Really? Yeah. Really? So, yes, I did a little bit of research to figure out, because, like, I recognized him, and I was like, okay, how's that work? Um, It's never really explained how it works, but it is very clear that it is him, so... The speculation is that it's this is the alternate reality version of, I guess, Marvel's 616 Jim Jaspers. What reality is Captain Britain in? Well, I guess that story took place in another reality. Oh. Where the, the part of Jim Jaspers' evil powers were warping realities over the top of other realities. It's very complicated. <laughs> I, yeah, I remember reading that issue. So, yeah, same guy, no powers, though. Okay, very weird. Don't know why Chris Claremont chose to use him, I guess, because he really liked that story. (laughs) And outside, uh, tempers and moods are running high. There's a lot of uh, protests, as you can well imagine. People probably don't even want there to be a um, trial because it is Magneto and he's done horrible things. You just put him to death. But but this is a civilized world. The three of the lawyers stand, well, I guess Professor's not a lawyer, they stand at the steps. I don't know what they're waiting for. It's, I guess it's more of just a pose. Um, Neil Conan ends his his uh, public radio um, show <laughs> headline. Yeah, whatever it is, report. Yeah, and uh, Gabrielle says, um, "Is this really a good idea?" <laughs> Yeah. The professor says, a, a rather haggard looking professor says, would you have us run away? Abandon Magneto to his fate? No, he's right. The only way to deal with such deep rooted, fundamental, irrational fear and prejudice is to confront it. Um, Meanwhile, in a boat in the Mediterranean, uh, there's uh, another guy here. He's watching the TV. More Neil Conan. So actually, yeah, he's watching TV. So Neil Conan ran from NPR probably over to public television to do the same report. (laughs) And uh, whoever this guy is, is is just hag... uh, uh, 
uh, haggling, haggling? That's not the right word. Um, heckling the TV. Why bother with that race? The pig is guilty. Everybody knows it. He should be guillotined, or better yet, drawn and quartered, boiled in oil. And that's when Andreas, who we've met before, comes in, and apparently, uh, and, and, no, I'm sorry, Andrea. Andreas was the one in the bed, and this is Andrea's bed, and she doesn't like that one bit. She's like, get out of my bed. <laughs> I see you sprawled on my bed, eating my caviar, guzzling my champagne. What's up with that? Oh, I'm sorry. I know you don't like me and you're bad, but I want to watch TV. Look, I taped a show for you on the VCR because we have one on our boat because we're rich, apparently. And then Andrea says, Xavier, Holler, and Magneto all together. Fate, dear brother, is too kind. It has given us the perfect opportunity to repay our oldest debt by slaughtering them. <laughs> so there's a revenge play. Uh, which would be a surprise to us if we hadn't spoiled it already. But for those of you who don't remember, there's a revenge ploy by mystery enemies. So the next page, the X-Men return from their adventures um, in Asgard, as do the New Mutants and various other sundry. Um, they're, they're all wearing their fancy costumes, uh, just like before. Mirage has her horse. Brightwind. There's a funny little uh, caption that says, uh, that Anne Nascenti will really and truly shoot Chris if he ever pulls as stupid a scheduling stunt as this again, and she really means it. Bang! Yeah, I mean, somebody had to draw this. Somebody had to make sure that it, everything was going to be released in the right order. Well, from, from what I understand, it wasn't. Like, this was released. This says on sale now, X-Men Annual 9, but I don't think it comes out until the... I don't think it actually does come out until the next month. Oh, really? I believe so, mm. but it's hard to tell. Yeah. But that, there you go. Boom. That's how that's how Storm and the X-Men are all reunited and brought to, uh, well, Xavier. Loki said that he would transport um, the X-Men back to their their master or whatever he was. Xavier. Yeah, I think he says, I'll, I'll send you to Xavier. I think Jeremy, we got a notice on that. It's pronounced Xavier. What did I say? You said Xavier. I'm always going to say Xavier. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't okay. care if it offends people. I don't think it offends anybody. It's spelled E-G-G-S-A-V-I-E-R. Xavier. Mm, eggs. So Cyclops determines that <laughs> um, they Loki must have transported him to where Professor X was, and they all thought that they were going to get transported him to the mansion. Yeah, he's just burning pages at this point. Uh, we get a little... Description of uh, people generating a crowd. Uh, Rachel generates some telepathy thing to kind of confuse everybody and they make their escape. And Cypher gets to use his powers by speaking French. Nobody cares about Cypher. Pardon, monsieur, vous nous? <laughs> a few days later... Uh, in Poland. In Poland, no less. A Red Army base near the Baltic seaport of Szechuan. That's not what it says. I'm fine with Szechuan. <laughs> there's, a, there's way too many Zs in a row. But anyways, uh, uh, something blasts through a gate and, and it looks like some shadowy armed, armored people are blowing everything up. And one of them scrawls on the side of a destroyed tank. Free Magneto dash X-Men. Signed X-Men. Yeah, somebody's trying to frame the X-Men, it seems. But a but a pow Iurg. Mm-hmm. <laughs> And Matt the Ritz in Paris. We get, we get a report about what we just saw, which is that unconfirmed reports of a terrorist assault on a major Soviet installation in the German-Poland border. Um, 
it is signed the X-Men. The professor who is bed-stricken says, no, it cannot be. This is another Neil Conan report. He's just reporting up a storm. I swear that, you know, he signed a contract or something with Marvel because every news report in this comic, and there's a lot of them, uh, it's always Neil Conan signing off at the end. This is Neil Conan. <laughs> so well, good on him. Yeah. Or maybe uh, they're getting a, a subsidy from NPR. Like, hey, we're going to advertise on the pages of the X-Men. Neil Conan's a great reporter and people should listen to NPR. Maybe at the end of Neil Conan's, like in, in his contract, at the end of every report, he has to say, read the X-Men. <laughs> yeah. This is Neil Conan. Read the X-Men. <laughs> Professor Xavier comes in because he wants to talk to the professor, but the professor's got to compose himself, which he does. He tries to get himself together, but Scott sees right through it and he's like, oh, why don't you trust me? Tell me what's wrong. It looks like the professor had like a mini uh, near heart attack or something. I think that's possible. He thinks to himself, you're dying. Why don't you trust me enough to tell me that? And he says that the uh, yeah, past few days have been pretty pretty scary. Uh, the New Mutants are uh, on their way back to Dr. McTaggart, but the X-Men are here to stay uh, here in Paris. It's interesting that they get sent back to Muir Isle. Well, I don't think the next, I think the next New Mutants, they're, in, they're back in the mansion. Hmm. Oh, well. Uh, you know, they make it to Muir Island because it's close to Paris. And then uh, more McTaggart puts them on a private plane, even though, I guess, uh, Ileana could just teleport them home, but whatever, you know. Too risky. Yeah, we, they might change the shift in time, as has happened. Have you heard the morning news, Scott? The X-Men are being framed. As is Magneto, the villains responsible must be found and stopped. I find it a little hard, Professor, to risk my life for a man who's tried more than once to kill me. That's important. This uh, little brief interlude Cyclops has with the X-Men, I think, kind of comes back inconsistently in the pages of X-Factor. But we'll get to that later. Okay. Uh, Professor understands Scott's ambivalence, but uh, hey, man. Magneto is disavowed to accept any decision of the court. Isn't that good enough for you? If you're not going to do it for Magneto, that's okay. Do it for yourselves, because really, we're we're not to blame for this, obviously. So find the true culprits. It can only be to both of our advantage. Stop being a jerk. <laughs> and uh, so outside of the, the, the courthouse, there's signs, protesters, <clears throat> anti-mutant fervor going on. And we got the panel of five judges. I uh, get some opening statements here from uh, Jim Jaspers. That's his name, right? Yeah, and he's basically saying that uh, Magneto is a villain and he's killed people and done bad stuff and he wants to rule us. <laughs> yeah, that then that's no good. It- Magneto chose to place himself above the law and thereby beyond the pale of civilized conduct. If a danger exists, it comes not from us, but from him. Meanwhile, in Germany, an airplane is attacked. It's blown up and crashes into a whole bunch of other airplanes. And uh, I guess spray painted on the wall or written in fire. One of the two, it says free Magneto dash dash X-Men. How do you get this to stay? I don't know what it is. Is it written in the sky or is it just on the side of a building? I think it's on the side of a building, but what are they using to keep it there? Uh, How do they make sure that it doesn't get burned? Burn-proof paint. (laughs) Duh. Burn-proof paint on a burn-proof building? (laughs) Guess. All Uh, it was left with this sign that says, Free Magneto X-Men. Just these white letters. Everything else was burnt. Uh, 
And so it's now time for Gabrielle Holler to present her case for the defense. Um, a lot of words here, but basically what her point is, and this is kind of a clever, uh, uh, I don't know, use of, of story, is it says like, yeah, Magneto's terrible. He's been a horrible guy, but... Remember, he reverted to a baby, and when he did that, old Magneto died, and a new Magneto was created. We can't judge that old Magneto. We can only judge baby Magneto to present. And she actually goes on and says, medically, he's got the, uh, uh, the what, uh, body or mind or something of a 30-year-old? Yes, she says, the man that was at that moment ceased to exist. In effect, he died. Uh, And then he says, expert medical testimony will show he is now biologically a man in his 30s. It's um, weird. And that he should be there therefore be nearly 60 years old which puts in my mind how old is the professor yeah i don't know i guess 60 because they're about the same age right wasn't just just like 20 issues ago that the professor was 20 20 i I figure i feel like x-men number one he was 20 years old well i mean no and they were all teenagers (laughs) in x-men number one he was like 80 (laughs) don't you remember he's all wrapped up in his towel and or blanket or whatever. Yes, it seems like they keep, I don't know, chain. I don't think they've ever actually said how old the professor is, but they seem to ch- keep changing that. Because there was that one issue where he was like shooting hoops and stuff. Yeah, to be fair, he did recently just get a new clone body. So he's probably 30 oh, as well. forgot about the clone body. So he's not really the same professor that we met in issue number one, is he? Yeah. And no for that matter. Sick all the time. Just I'll throw it out there. Neither is Storm. Remember, she got a new body. Yeah, and I... Didn't Colossus die and come back to life? I don't think he got a new body. I think Sikorsky just fixed him. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, during all of that that um, opening statement or what have you, we do get a an outburst from somebody, a protester, who uh, calls Gabrielle a traitor, a uh, Jewess. You've sold out your own kind. You deserve the same fate as him, which kind of shakes Gabby a little bit. She quotes something. The more things change, the more they stay the same. Some old hatreds never seem to die. Anyways, as I was saying, Magneto's not bad. <laughs> well, you know, there's there's old Magneto and there's new Magneto. So, I mean, all things considered, uh, I think that, that I think that's a really good use of that whole alpha story to be honest, because that story, as I recall, was pretty bad. Well, let's face it, like pre this age of Magneto, Magneto was a one dimensional character. So basically they're closing the chapter on that. Yeah, I guess that's kind of like what I said. Like this is the end of the old and the beginning of the new. And uh, they're using some of that old story to to help brush it away. Well, meanwhile, uh, the well, of of course, the Jim Jaspers, he objects and says, this is stupid. There's a perversion of law like that. None of that matters. But uh, the judge never overrules him or anything, so I guess we don't see how that conversation ends. Uh, yeah, we do on the next page. Yeah. Well. The ind- the indictment is restricted to those specifications which occurred after Magneto's, quote, resurrection. But before we get to that... <laughs> Too late. <laughs> yeah, the X-Men are in a warehouse or a house or something, and they're making a plan. They're going to divide up into multiple teams and try to cover as much ground as they can so that when the next attack occurs, they can be there to um, prevent it and help clear their names. We can't call on the Avengers of the Fantastic Four either. They'd feel duty-bound to arrest us on sight. Yeah, I don't I don't know about that logic, Cyclops. Well, the X-Men are... Are they wanted? I think only Magneto is wanted at this point. Well, they're wanted in the sense that 
everybody thinks they're doing these terrorist attacks. Oh, they'd be wanted for like questioning or something maybe. Yeah. And then that would take away from their ability to do the protection. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I feel like... It's faulty logic. It, it's the freaking Marvel Universe. Come on. Well, see, it is the Marvel Universe. And so the Avengers, the Fantastic Four, and the X-Men act toward each other whichever way the plot requires them to. <laughs> Uh, they should be friends. I mean, they've all met in the past and they've all parted uh, in, you know, um, uh, happy ways. You know what works better? Don't mention them. Yeah. I don't know. But, maybe maybe they just think like the readers would be like, but what about the Avengers? No, no, no reader would ever say that. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever happens, X-Men, as usual, we're on our own. I feel like that line's probably been dropped in the Avengers and the Fantastic Four, too. <laughs> we could call the X-Men, but... They're, oh, but they're mutants. <laughs> we don't trust those guys. I don't think they'd say that. I think no, I don't think so. Either. It'd be some excuse like they're off planet or whatever. Anyhow, uh, yeah, it, it's the whole trial is going to be uh, predicated on his rebirth. So nothing before that can be used uh, against him or in any testimony. And the galley—is that what they call it? The gallery, the court, uh, sure, whatever, wherever the people sit and watch, they're all gasping. The and, gallows. No, 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 I think that's, that's where you go to that's, die. That's where you go to get killed. <laughs> and it's not the galley. That's like a kitchen on a boat. Um, well, let's just go with the court. The peanut gallery? Sure. Um, the trial is rigged. It's unfair. Don't worry, Judas. You'll get yours. Boo, shame. The mood is very ugly. I feel as if uh, anything can happen. At least we seem to be winning. Gabrielle says like, Magneto. In case you didn't catch that spot on... <laughs> terrible accent oh i i caught it um gabrielle is like well that's just the opening uh, or the preliminaries um now we're gonna start the trial and it might not be so easy this is a quick trial too i just watched uh the have you seen the mini series the trial of oj simpson i can't remember if that's exactly what it's called no but why would i want to watch that oh it's, it's great it's it stars uh cuba gooding jr and uh some other people that are C- cuba gooding jr he was in jerry Maguire, right He's been in a lot of stuff, but yes, he was in Jerry, Jerry, Jerry Maguire. I'll ever remember. <laughs> really? Well, help anyway. me help you. Yes. Well, he plays OJ. And uh, anyway, my point is, is that it's, it's um, I want to say it's like eight hours long. It's a mini series, so multiple episodes. Uh, and if you remember when OJ's trial was going on, it went on for, I don't know, a year, year and a half. It went on for a very long time. Um, they went from the preliminaries to calling the first witness in like an hour. And well, spoilers, this trial's going to be over before the day's over. I, I feel like maybe there are days going. I will have to keep track of the captions. I don't think there's been any days between the, because she says like, uh, Sir James, proceed with your first witness. I mean, this is like right after she banged the gavel from the preliminary thing. Yeah, but while this is all going on, the X-Men are like hunting down the terrorists. I can't believe all of that would go on in one day. Ah. Well, let's keep track of the captions. Because, like, the terror attacks seem to be happening several days apart. Bottom line, I, I wouldn't think that um, the uh, trial of Magneto would be, you know, I, I think that would be a months-long ordeal. Probably, yes. <laughs> Although, you know, perhaps it gets cut short by something. Well. Maybe that's what we're seeing. That could uh, be. Jim James summons Admiral Gregory Mikhailovich Suvorev, Commander-in-Chief of the Soviet Navy's Strategic Missile Submarine Force. Was this the same guy that was in that thing that never got resolved, where at the end of an issue recently, um, somebody named Sergi was like, we need to watch the mutants. Oh, 
It was like one of the Nimrod episodes. Yeah, I vaguely remember that, and I I don't think so. <laughs> I think I don't think so either. I'm I'm just waiting for that thread to resolve itself if it ever does. I don't think I've read a lot of X Men. It's got to. Yeah, wasn't there a guy with an eye patch? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think so. I think this guy is related to the events of X Men 150. Right. He was one of the submarine commanders. Well, didn't all those guys die? I think we're going to talk about that. It's going to be part of the trial. He may not have been like in a sub. Maybe he was like a fleet admiral or captain or something. So for all intents and purposes, this is a new character. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I guess. I don't think he's the guy that we met in that Nimrod episode. So good, good memory. Because I would have forgot about that. And maybe Chris Claremont did too, which is why it never gets resolved. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe it does and we just missed it. I don't know. Anyhow, uh, the teams are all split up. Everybody's bored. Nothing's happening until... Uh, Cyclops is with Phoenix. This would be a good opportunity for them to talk about what's been going on between them. Uh, Cyclops doesn't talk and, I don't know, Rachel doesn't want to talk. Phoenix is back to wearing her Dan skins. Yes. (laughs) Well, I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense because they came back in their Asgardian wear uh, clothing um, and probably changed into whatever they had. Although, how come all of the other X-Men were able to get a hold of costumes? Because I don't think this Phoenix costume exists yet. I would agree. I, 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 uh, the, the, the memo ha- hasn't been passed from uh, Art Adams to uh, Dan, or uh, who drew this issue? Yeah, uh, John Romita Jr. John Romita. So I think John Romita Jr. drew everybody in their costumes with like a vague idea of these people will be in these sort of costumes, these people. And then Art Adams probably worked with that and was like, eh, because the costumes aren't exact either. No. Some of them are pretty close, but like Storm's outfit is off and that's sort of a critical detail. But yeah, but I guess moreover, like they're in France and they just teleported from Asgard to France. Like where did these costumes even come from? Did the professor just have a trunk of them? He's like, I thought you might show up. Put your costumes on. (laughs) They had them mailed over. (laughs) Yeah. So. I always carry an extra costume. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And that's when uh, Skaboom occurs near Colossus and Nightcrawler and they radio the team to let them know that. That crap's about to go down, and it does. And they're at a hospital, and they're really upset that the terrorists would attack a hospital. So they go to work, uh, evacuating. Nightcrawler goes off to evacuate patients. Colossus goes to work stopping some of the oncoming troops. A tank comes, so he rips off the barrel of the gun, and I think is about to bat the tank away. When something erupts in flames, the hospital, and he's like, well, I can't let this fire uh, keep going, so what I'll do is I'll just flatten a building on top of it to suffocate the fire. Boy, I wish Storm had her powers. She could make it rain. I wonder if she's going to stay with us uh, since she's not a mutant anymore. <laughs> Got a lot of time to think. <laughs> yeah. And while he's doing all of this thinking, a Zarak occurs and he gets shot in the chest. And he goes flying backwards into a truck. Badam! Mm-hmm. Uh, Rogue flies Phoenix and Cyclops to the burning hospital so that they can help out, but they just get shot right away. Yes, they get shot by, I guess, the same thing that shoots Cyclops, which is more powerful than anything that they've actually seen. All the shooting is happening from off panel, and we're not seeing what it is that is shooting people, but it's quite deadly. Nightcrawler wonders what hit them, and that's when Colossus comes out of the flaming wreckage. He's like, the team force I'll wager Tavarish that struck me. And uh, his costume's ruined. He's pretty upset about that. Guns start firing around. So the X-Men, I don't know, get down. Uh, (laughs) The police show up. 
with their guns raised. Phoenix is able to use her telekinesis to take the guns away from them, and the X-Men run away. So I guess those are warning shots? Yeah, that's what they so. say. In, Fran- in French. Oh, yeah. Those were warning shots. One falls move and we will shoot to kill, even. Yeah. And as they're running away, uh, they, Cyclops sees a sign that says free Magneto dash dash X-Men. And he's like, we come to help. We save lives. We avert a disaster, as we always do. And it makes no difference. We are still blamed. And he uses his optic blasts to destroy the wall that has the spray paint on it. Skadam. We're more outcasts than ever. And next day's newspaper headline says, X-Men Attack Hospital. And we get another report from Neil Conan, who ends his report with, this is Neil Conan. Read the (laughs) X-Men. Tensions are running high at the trial. And we get get somebody calls Gabrielle a slut. Yeah, totally. I was shocked to see that in a comic book. And uh, there's the slut who's defending the monster. Shame, woman. Get out of France. Muty lovers, we don't want your kind. Foreigners, go back where you came from. I feel like language... Because we've seen, you know, the the big one, the N-word a couple times. Uh, I think this is the first for slut... But I think language was a little bit looser in the 80s. Like I, I guess maybe you'd see the word slut in today's comics, but it'd probably be um, like a lesson learned story. Does that make sense? Yeah. Like it it's wouldn't weird. just be like thrown out there. I don't like it. <laughs> yeah, it's a little degrading. I mean, poor Gabrielle Holler is just trying to be a professional woman in a man's world. <laughs> uh, yeah. And so their vegetables are being thrown at them and stuff. So Kitty offers her hand uh, to phase them through the vegetables, which I think somebody man's would notice. World. Did you really say it's a man's world? I was kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, Kitty is now along with them, which is kind of nice. She's always She's always good to uh, add some humanity. And in fact, there's a, we'll, get, we'll get a nice scene with her later, but right now she's just, I've never been so angry. How can people be so cruel? Mm-hmm. And uh, Gabrielle talks about how a mob isn't people, Kitty. It's just wildest of animals. Yep. This can't go the on. The X-Men and all mutant kind are on trial as well, and they watch out the window as rocks and cans and various things. But we who have survived, we who survived have a duty to make certain the Holocaust never happens again to anyone. We must fight, Kitty, and we must be def- and we may be defeated, but we must never surrender. Meanwhile, in Westchester, New York, uh, the, the mansion appears to be on fire. <laughs> no. Those are like autumn colors or something. Those are trees. I know, but they're they're all flamey and orange and, and yellow looking. They do look a little <laughs> bit like smoke, but uh, that would be a very strange... <laughs> Subplot, the mansion's on fire and Madeline Pryor's inside and she's pregnant. Oh my God. We have lots of pages to fill, folks. Where's Lockheed? She's supposed to be here. Oh, yeah. Um, so Madeline's watching TV and she's getting a news report, uh, which... It's the morning edition, so Neil Conan doesn't do morning edition. Bob Edwards does. But he does, of course, mention Neil Conan. <laughs> yeah. That report. that report was from correspondent Neil Conan. <laughs> the time is 11. This is NPR's morning edition. I'm Bob Edwards. <laughs> That's uh, pretty funny. So there is another plug for Neil Conan. <laughs> Coming next from Tallahassee, and they move on. Madeline's thinking about all the bad news and she's wondering like why hasn't scott called like all the other x-men have kitty has nightcrawler has aurora has has scott does scott not want to talk to me has he forgotten i exist probably baby i love your father dearly but sometimes he can be a real jerk 
Yeah, this is like the 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 beginning. Well, maybe not the beginning, but this is where they start making Scott into a real douche. Yeah, yeah. And poor Madeline, they don't really, or maybe good for Madeline. She's giving him all of the chances and credit in the world. Um, and this will go on for a little while. But uh, anyways, before all that can happen, Corsair and Lilandra show up out of nowhere. Charles Xavier, where is he? says Lilandra. I know his condition. I felt the death pain through the rapport we share. I need to save him. And uh, she's like, oh. He's sick? Oh, no. This is terrible. He's, a, he's near. He's in Paris. Corsair's like, we don't have time for that. All right, let's get back to the Stargate. And they zip away. Corsair, wait, explain yourselves. Can't, honey, no time. Zapped. Zapped. I better warn the X-Men. Uh, I better phone the X-Men and warn them. Ow, a contraction, a big one. Where the heck did that come? I'm not due for another... Wow, my baby, you're being born! So do you think, like, every everybody has called except for Scott, and Kitty has called, like, daily. Mm-hmm. Bless her do heart. Do you think she's, like, constantly asking, So, what's going on with Scott? Is, is he there? <laughs> Has Scott said anything about me? Uh, oh, no, sorry, Madeline. Uh, it's like he forgot you where he exists. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't he hasn't said a word about talked about Gene a lot, but uh, hasn't mentioned <laughs> you at all. Uh so yeah, we get a little subplot about the uh um Star Jammers, which I feel is unnecessary, but they're we here. We see Carol Danvers again. Yep, she's powering a, a Stargate that's on some innocuous or insignificant orb made of mostly nickel. Um and that's how they're teleporting to and from the, the Star Jammer. Um, How's the rest of the song go, Adam? Jamming across the universe, Star Jammer. Thank you. <laughs> We're going to get very, very few chances to use that in the future. <laughs> this might be... The, eh, do we get one more? I think we'll get one next issue, but I think that's it for a very long time. I'll have to add a new verse. <laughs> Um, okay, so on the Star Jammer, Hepzibah is up there. She's talking to Sikorsky and talking about Xavier and how sick he is. And they start uh, getting shots fired upon them. And uh, we're, we're, basically the Shi'ar Empire is chasing down the Star Jammer, which is why there's no time to explain to Madeline why what they're doing. They just need to get to Xavier fast. Yes. And uh, Lelandra says, I only asked to be sent to bye-bye. Nobody else has to go. And... Says, yeah, well, I'm going. And Binary says, but you guys might be trapped. And they say, oh, well, if we do get trapped and you guys are like low on shield strength, you abandon us. You run. Cut back to the outside of the Palais de Justice. And Kitty, she's observing the protesters outside. It's, it's the biggest protest Paris has ever seen. And she's getting mad. Like, she's really mad at this whole thing about why the... Uh, X-Men are being persecuted. I mean, they've saved the world, saved the universe. And here are all these protesters. And uh, Colossus is like, uh, Kitty, have you listened to their chants or looked closely at the signs? Uh-oh, Peter, why? Rogue translated for me. Because uh, Rogue speaks French, doesn't she? Yeah. There was an issue earlier where she says, like, she had some French background. That's something else that I don't think comes up very often. So Anyways, they, didn't need, they didn't need Cypher in the beginning at all. <laughs> Not at all, Rogue. Stand aside, Cypher. You're useless, and I know this. Oh. <laughs> uh, Rogue translated for me. Those are all pro-mutant sentiments. These people are on our side. Apparently, Kitty needs glasses. Yeah, uh, just a new subplot. Kitty's vision is going. She used to be able to see so clearly, and now she can't. Darn it, she's an X-Men. She can't need glasses. It isn't fair. Is this 
I've ever been dodging. I don't recall Kitty ever getting glasses, but maybe maybe she does. Maybe this subplot is carried on in the pages of Excalibur, but I think, I don't know. I think it comes back a couple more times, but then I think it just goes away. <laughs> it's really weird <laughs> to bring it in here, but whatever. Um, yeah, so Cyclops and Kitty talk a little bit about the crowd. Kitty feels a little silly about that whole thing. Cyclops says to himself, you know... If you really wanted to incriminate the uh, the X-Men's reputation, I'd attack those people, the pro-mutant sentimenters. And we mm. cut back to the trial where we get the testifying. So so this is the next day. So it, at least it's at least been a day. Okay. So the Admiral's been, been on the witness stand for a couple of days. That's fine. That makes sense, I guess. So and maybe it's even been a few days. Fine. Um, it's been four days. Okay. And... Three of those days were recess. Yes, I'm fine with that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we get uh, some cross-examination by Gabrielle Holler asking what happened. And the guy says that, uh, yeah, we attacked Magneto. We were provoked. It was our right as a sovereign nation to respond. So Magneto threatened us. The Soviet Union acted in self-defense. It's a very strange panel where there's a spotlight on Rachel. So we're back to where the X-Men are. They're in a dark room with a spotlight on Rachel who's floating above the ground. Mm -hmm. I guess this is what she needs to do her her mutant uh, finding ability. Tracking. Cyclops asks her to see if they can find the source of that large power that uh, uh, punched Colossus uh, and uh, Rogue and Cyclops the other day. Rachel, who in earlier issues has been like, nope, absolutely not, gonna, not going to do it, refuse, has now conceded and thinks to herself, easy as pie, daddy. I spent years doing this in my native era as a hound hunting down mutants so they could be killed. I swear I wouldn't do this on my mom's grave. But now with so much at stake, how can I refuse? Bingo, X-Men. I've got them. Weird side shot of Magneto in this panel. He's buff. Yeah. <laughs> Huge. Well, he's, he's you know... Uh, got the physical He's diagnosis a of a side boob. <laughs> He's got the physical diagnosis of a 30 year old, apparently one that lifts weights. And he says, yes, I did destroy that warship and a Siberian city, but the Siberian city, you know, Hey, I, I saved all the people just destroyed the city. Nobody died in that one. So, you know, I get some points for that. Don't I? Jim and he says he was acting in self-defense and, um, Jasper says, yeah, but you you threatened them. Like, do you, do you deny that? And he kind of explodes and the uh, the main, the chief judge says, the behavior of the opposing counsel has been exemplary. I strongly suggest you follow her example. And then we get a big old speech from Magneto where he kind of makes everybody think differently. Well, he's like, the United States is a sovereign nation. Soviet Union is a sovereign nation. Neither I'm not a citizen of either one of them, um, and they possess the capability to slay me and mine, referring to his mutant kind. Why do they have the right to protect themselves against a threat such as me, but I don't have the right to protect myself against a threat such as them? The only reason I'm currently uh, safe is because of the... Uh, peace that those two sovereign nations hold with one another. But I've been in Auschwitz and I've seen suffering and I will not let it happen again. So yes, if you threaten me, I will act. You humans slaughter each other because of the color of your skin of your or your faith or your politics or for no reason at all. 
too many of you hate as easily as draw breath. What's to prevent you from adding mutants to that list? I thought I could impose sanity from above through conquest, but there are too many of you, so I decided I must try another way. Mm-hmm. Cannot wish us away. You cannot ignore us. We are your children, Homo sapiens superior. We're the next generation of humanity. What kind of parent fears his progeny? I have seen the errors of my ways. Can you say the same? Ooh, laying down a little guilt trip on all these nations that are present at this trial. It's got one guy stroking his chin. I oh, fe- whoa. I feel like this is, like, I like this direction and everything. I like this angle, but I feel like they're spinning it a little bit. Because I feel like in X-Men 150, which is basically what they're referring to, uh, he did kind of come out as a cliched one-dimensional villain. And it wasn't until Kitty was potentially uh, dead at his hands that he finally was like, oh my God, like, what have I done? So I feel like this is a teensy bit of a retcon because then as Magneto was written after that, I mean, it's, it's all been about, you know, his penance, his remorse, his finding a new path, even though Jim Shotter tried to destroy that in Secret Wars. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I don't know. You see what I'm saying with the whole X-Men Yeah, no. Um, I would have to revisit it to remember. But I, I, I bet you I, I, I don't have any reason to disagree with you. I'm sure Chris Claremont also revisited that and was like, yeah, how can I spin this a little bit to work for my the angle that I'm going for now? Yeah, and I fully believe that Meg or uh, Chris Claremont intended all along that Magneto was going to reform and and become less of a cliched one-dimensional supervillain and become a little bit more layered uh, and maybe even a good guy. So I believe this is where he wanted a story to go, but I think this is a little bit of spinny, retconny stuff to try to make this whole story work. But nonetheless, yeah. I'm good. I'm fine. It's, it's all good. Are you okay? Yeah, it's, it's Yeah, I'm good. Just wanted to get that out there. Okay. Outside, though, as Magneto continues to lay it on thick to everybody in the court, a boat comes up with a whole bunch of uh, tourists who wave at the shore. The people at the shore wave back. Oh, my gosh, Terry, the X-Men are attacking the boat. And at first, you're like, are these doppelganger X-Men? But they're not. They kind of look wrong. (laughs) Yeah. Colossus is jumping in like the Hulk. Uh, everybody else is, for the most part, okay. Um, so why does Colossus, like, does, has Colossus's shirt been ruined from the other scene? Well, when the professor brought his trunk of costumes, he only w- brought one per. So he just hasn't, okay, so it's been a couple days. Yeah, he's just been in his underwear for the last couple of days. Tavarish, <laughs> can I go to Muir Island and get a costume replacement? No. This is so embarrassing. <laughs> And that's when the robots show up. So sure enough, there was more than meets the eyes here. The tourists um, were, in fact, bad guys. Colossus fastball special. I want to see how well these creeps take their own medicine. Yep. Wolverine goes flying at them. And Rachel pushes them away with a telekinesis. Rogue uh, flies a couple of them up into the sky to take the fight away from any civilians. Uh, Rachel continues pushing them away. Colossus gets punched through the roof of the boat and into, what is that, Notre Dame? Some big building with a huge stained glass. uh, I don't think there is a building (laughs) that really has a giant stained glass window like that. But he he does go right through the center of it, which is pretty impressive. Yeah. And then the uh, robot flies in and says, my thunder puncher, put the mutie down for the count. Let's finish him. Thunder puncher. (laughs) Rachel had been thinking to herself that they had no alternative but to strike, 
But now, the people on shore must think that the X-Men attacked a boatload of defenseless tourists. So even if they win this fight, they will still lose. Somebody needs to create a drink called a Thunder Puncher. (laughs) And then we need a Star Jammer. Come on. Oh, there you go, audience. I'd like to see a Star Jammer before we see a Thunder Puncher. Yeah, you don't have to do a Thunder Puncher. I'm just... But but Star Jammer, that's critical. Thunder Puncher would have critical. Thunder Puncher would have a lot of alcohol. Like I think the Thunder Puncher would have Everclear in it, <laughs> and then like lemon juice the band? or something. What? No, the band, no, the early nineties band, the uh, one hundred and eighty proof alcohol. Oh, not that's, the not the band. That's you, that's the stuff that you use to light drinks on fire with. Have you ever mm-hmm. had a flaming shot, Adam? Uh, I probably. <laughs> <laughs> did you blow it out first, or did you attempt to drink the flames? I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have attempted to drink the flames. That's just silly. Exactly. It's a rookie mistake to try to drink the flames, people. You got to blow them out first, and really setting <laughs> You'll your burn your face. <laughs> you will burn your face. Uh, and uh, the lighting of a drink on fire, in my opinion, doesn't really add flavor in fact sometimes it makes the shot glass you know so hot that it burns your lips so really it's kind of a lose-lose proposition although i was in a bar once where we set the bar on fire doing flaming shots the bartender wasn't very happy about that (laughs) but uh, it was his fault he's the one that set the drinks on fire this message was brought to you by thunder puncher (laughs) so yes the thunder puncher is something you set on fire too or is that the star jammer Hmm. All right, folks. Challenge is out there. <laughs> um. Yeah. So rogues flying all around the Eiffel Tower uh, to keep the robot people away from the bystanders. Wolverine is thinking to himself, uh, "There's no sign of the super beings race since the ones who zapped Rogue in classes at the hospital." They're not here. This is a diversion to keep the X-Men busy. What's their real target as if I didn't know? (laughs) Right. What else could it be, Wolverine? Come on. (laughs) Yeah. And that's when we find out what the real target is because the courtroom blows up. Krakow! And we are introduced to the two villains from the cover of the comic. They are Fenris. Okay, Key. <laughs> the great wolf before whose dread power the entire world will bow, says male Fenris. We have come, well, Magneto. It's, it's Andrea and An- Andreas. We know, I mean, we know that much. I know, but I'm going to go with male Fenris and female Fenris. <laughs> uh, yes, to deliver the fate you so richly deserve, says female Fenris. Stop them, Charles, or call your X-Men for help. I cannot. My psi powers are too weak. Yeah, Magneto's like, I'm not going to do anything. I told you I'm going to stand trial, so I will... And you, uh, Fenris, shall do no more harm as long as I'm here. Yeah. So deal. And that's when female Fenris says, let that be your epitaph as these pathetic humans perish by your side. And she shoots a soundless shot because it doesn't say Zrak or Zapped or anything like that. I'm going to make the sound effect now. Ready? Yep. Okay, I did it. Nice. Meanwhile, on the boat, the fight continues. Nightcrawler's now, tell- Storm is fighting here, and I just saw one of these guys punch Colossus through the roof. Why is, is Storm's going to get her butt kicked? I think maybe Chris Claremont's still trying to work out what he wants to do with Storm, maybe. She should not be fighting robots. No, she should not be. She should be helping Kitty get people rescued. Right, but to her credit, she's grabbing them from behind, so maybe the robots just didn't have the opportunity to punch her through uh, a building and stained glass. Because <laughs> she's going to die if she gets punched through a building through stained glass. Nightcrawler grabs a few of the robots and teleports them and drops them off into the water. 
great use of Nightcrawler's power. Finally, somebody does something right. And that's when Kitty pieces the puzzle together and says, We've been suckered! Look at the Palace of Justice! Oh, that, that's what they must be attacking, <laughs> says Wolverine. Oh, I knew that. I was thinking that like a page ago. I just didn't get a chance to say it because I've been busy fighting. So Magneto is now defending everybody, all the humans in the courtroom and, and Professor X and whatnot from Fenris. Female, Gab- f- female Fenris, though, says, For too many years, swine, the humiliation and defeat suffered by our beloved father at your hands has gone avenged. Today, at long last, you shall pay. Magneto's What are life. they talking about? Yeah. What do they mean? Yeah. And that's when Gabrielle points out that Magneto's risking his life to safeguard ours. Hardly the act of a villain, Jaspers. Fenris, uh, well, Magneto is able to deflect Fenris's power, but uh, just like Juggernaut and Blob's weakness, Magneto is susceptible to the floor caving in underneath him. So Fenris shoots Mm. the floor out and everybody falls to the basement. Well, not everybody. The professor, Gabrielle. The important people do. And a couple of judges. Yeah. Um, Jim Jaspers. Magneto's upset at himself for not predicting this. Uh, this has gone further to hurt uh, the professor. Yes, the, the professor is now bleeding. Fenris shows up and is like, there's no escape for you. Your fate and Baldi's and the Jewess is sealed. Why the three of us? The twins' powers evidently work solely when they're in a physical contact. Uh, the boy projects force, his sister raw power, disintegrating whatever it touches. What's going on? <laughs> and uh, Fenris is then just realizing that they're being buried, and that's because Phoenix has showed up. And she's uh, telekinetically causing the ground to bury them. What? (laughs) I don't know. She's like flying and she's got cool power signature going on and she's telekinetically causing the earth to go upward and over Fenris. Is that something she does? She's doing it right now, Adam. I'm looking at it. Okay. (laughs) You can do anything with telekinesis. Fenris is not so easily caged, X-Man. Nor will our hatred be denied by you or anyone. Yield or I fry the human to ashes. And he, uh, female Fenris grabs the judge, uh, Justice, Chief Justice Devereaux, and she's gonna, she's gonna kill her. Rachel backs down. You win, Blondie. We always do, says female Fenris. Shock. Tell us, Magneto, is your life worth more than these humans? Would you sacrifice it to save them? I'm guessing one of the Fenrises asks. (laughs) Yes, they're lying. They mean to slay us all regardless, but what choice have I? Uh, The professor thinks to himself, this is my chance. While Fenris is concentrating on Magneto, he lunges forward and says, I've broken their grasp, keeping them apart, and they're powerless. I hope, he thinks to himself, but if my deductions are correct, but weren't those Magneto's deductions? I guess the (laughs) professor was also deducting off-panel. Yeah, well, Magneto was using his... uh, Mental powers that nobody talks about anymore to tell the professor all this. Oh, okay. <laughs> and that's when Jim Jaspers grabs a rock and says, threaten me, will you, mutant? Grabs her by a uh, female Fenris by the neck and is getting ready to bludgeon her in the head. He is stopped by Magneto, who grabs the rock. Leave go, man! <laughs> <laughs> there were some words that are missing in there. But leave go, man. Jim Jaspers' superhero name. <laughs> leave go, man! <laughs> 
And uh, Jim Jasper's True Colors comes out as he says, Take your inhuman hands off me. You're little better than they are for all your talk of hopes and dreams. Judge Devereaux's like, Enough! Magneto had no rock in his hand, Sir James. His power could have crushed these children, yet he chose to be merciful. Truly, monsieur, an inhuman act. He uses in, she uses in quotes. Uh, Rachel thinks or says out loud very very quietly, Struck! Gabrielle says quite stupidly, Yes, dear, you were struck quite hard. No, you idiot! Snape and the twins' thoughts! Struck? Strucker? <gasps> he, is their bo- the, he, he is their father, Baron Wolfgang von Strucker! Of course, that explains everything, says Magneto. A quarter century ago, in X-Men number 161, you remember, Charles and I rescued... Gabrielle from his clutches in Africa. I never imagined he'd have children. He was gross. <laughs> <laughs> Once again, the choices made in my past have a deadly repercussions in the present. You all had best go on ahead. Charles, how shall we deal with our wolf cubs? Charles thinks to himself that clearly Magneto believes that the uh, twins need to be killed, but rather than... Rather than just doing it, he's actually deferring his judgment and asking the professor to make the call, which is a change. Yeah. Which is nice. And then the professor has a stroke. Magneto's growing here. Yeah. Um, Yeah. His heart gives way or something. Uh, Forget me. Watch out. Fenris. They grab. Magneto has turned his attention away from Fenris to the professor. And now Fenris... um, Reconnects, shoots the hole in the wall, which causes the the river Sin Sain. I don't know how it's pronounced. Sign to flood. Yeah, that sounds good. Sure. Sign to uh, to flood the um, the catacombs or whatever where they are basement and being swept into the catacombs. Uh, Jim Jaspers is like, "Good riddance, I say to bad rubbish." She, he gets a good he gets a good slapping from Chief Justice Devereaux. You talk too much. As they're being whisked away in the water, the Magneto saves the professor by grabbing onto him, at least to take him to somewhere safe. He thinks uh, there's no mind touch from Charles or Rachel. They must be too weak or unconscious. That's a miracle so far. We haven't slammed into anything. The flood shows no sign of abating. If we don't reach air, we'll drown. Ban, they reach air. I wonder if the Strucker bats survived. One can hope for the best, but they're kind of always lucky. thing that's in parks where there's like a hole in the ground? I think think magneto dug up i don't know yes i want to i want to assume that this is like a sewer hole or something like a manhole cover blew off and they were kind of shot out right yeah it seems like an odd location for a manhole cover but sure there's no other explanation other than the water just forced them up through the dirt it's a garden says magneto i'm afraid our arrival has somewhat marred its beauty one certainty about Xavier and his X-Men from the mess you can generally tell where they've been. That's a joke my friend. You're supposed uh, uh, supposed to laugh. I in the mood. Wish this didn't hurt so much. Stop blah, blah, talking blah. nonsense. <laughs> You're not going to die. So uh, this is where the professor says, Magneto, you're the only one who can carry on in my place. You have to look after the school. You have to look after the new mutants. I want to say that the last panel on this page, if you take out all of these word balloons, becomes a very sensual panel. Oh, yeah. Like there's a lot of like emotion between the professor and Magneto. And with the way Magneto's hands are positioned, it looks like they're going to go in for like, why have we been fighting? 
fighting all of this time. You love me. I love you. We all know that. Now is the well, time. Maybe it's up to somebody to change the word balloons. <laughs> and and not in a joking, like making fun. Like it truly looks like they love each other in this panel. And I guess to a certain degree they do, right? They've been uh, long lost friends who, who, who Charles, parted ways. I never noticed your eyes before. And yours, Magneto. So luxurious and blue. I could get lost in an ocean of your eyes. <laughs> Shut up and kiss me. No, uh, the professor says, uh, you got to take care of the new mutants and the X-Men because I'm about to die. And the and Magneto's like, I can't. And uh, the professor goes on a long, very quiet speech about, like, look, the court thing is fine, but look, no matter what happens, you safeguarding mutant kind is going to be worth more than any sort of martyrdom that you obtain through this trial. So will you do it? Well, it fine. will be hard. Well, I'll try. Okay. Fine. <laughs> Corsair and Lelandra show up. Yep. And uh, Lelandra's like, the professor's going to die, but we can get him to Sikorsky and have him fixed and bring him back in an hour. <laughs> Magneto's like, oh my God. Thank God. I almost had to run the X-Men. I don't want to do that. But before and, uh, they... The professor says, well, guess what? If I don't come back, you're still off the hook. <laughs> or on the hook. Yep. Something about a hook. You're coming back. I might not. No, you're coming back. Suppose I fail and betray your dream. Our dream blast you. We'll never know if you don't try. At Paris Police Headquarters, the X-Men drop off all of the robot Fenris gang. These goons comprise the bulk of a terrorist outfit called Fenris. We're out of here. <laughs> yep. Uh, yeah. They destroyed all that stuff. It wasn't of us. They'd do the same to Paris. If the X-Men hadn't stopped them, we've done our jobs. Gents, now it's your turn. And we're going to walk off, uh, even though the big guy's wearing underwear, and that's probably really weird for you to see right now what the heck so they return to the court or no rachel's still at the court rachel's still yeah at the so court. so they're they they uh up above where the hole is inside the court everybody has returned uh except for uh magneto and charles and i guess rachel is scanning for the two of them yeah um and Gabrielle says something, so she must know a lot of information here. She's like, uh, this is a very special moment. We three have each lived through primal aspects of this never-ending nightmare of persecution and hatred. I am the past, past mile? I am the past, uh, that means Mademoiselle. Oh, Mademoiselle Devereaux the present and Rachel the future. But I have today's, but have today's events changed that future? So does Gabrielle know about Rachel's future? I guess so, yeah. Kind of implied that she does here. I know, she's been hanging around for a couple of days. Sure. Have we made a difference? And uh, Mademoiselle Devereaux says, you know, counselor, I probably, I would probably have accepted a plea for mitigation of sentence if he had been found guilty. Not an acquittal for Magneto, but not death either. But that has all been rendered moot. Whatever a court of law decides, his fate in the X-Men's is now before the court of the public opinion, the people of the world will determine their innocence or guilt and whatever their story has or and whether their story has a truly happy ending. So I'm thinking that somebody had to tell Gabrielle that Rachel was from the future so that they could also tell her not to tell Scott. <laughs> Probably. So what does this mean? Does this mean that, like, okay, Magneto stood trial and no verdict has been delivered? Yes. Uh, <laughs> it means that the trial is now an ongoing thing, which is kind of what the professor was saying before, hmm. which is like, 
essentially this trial was the martyrdom of Magneto, but now um, he's going to have to actually redeem himself in the real world. But is that is that like the judgment is like, okay, man, like you don't have to come back to court. Um, you just have to like live by good virtues and such and we'll be watching. Or if he goes back to the mansion to lead the X-Men and the New Mutants, is he a fugitive on the run? I think more or less he is a fugitive on the run. I mean, I guess the, the implication is that the world is watching now. So it's no longer a court's opinion. Now it's everybody's opinion. World opinion. You know, that seems like a like a real cop-out for Devereaux here. I'm not going to make whole, a decision. The whole, the whole ending is kind of a cop-out because, like, the whole thing with, like, Magneto's like, oh, I'm not going to do it if you come back. And Professor's like, I might not come back, but you'll probably come back in an hour because they just said, but get to, guess, uh, spoilers, he's not coming back in an hour. <laughs> Well, anyways, um, Rachel has scanned everywhere, and she can't find a trace of the professor. Where has he gone? What has happened to him? I gave you my word, Charles. Come what may, I will be true to it. Says a guy who thinks that the professor is coming back in an hour. (laughs) He knows. (laughs) He knows. Next issue, a beginning, a duel, an ending. Hey. That sounds like a good issue. That sounds like three things happening all at the same time. So, X-Men number 200. Pretty good. Yeah. Bah, 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 bah. I thought it was really good. Yeah. Well, the ending, I thought, left a little bit to be desired. But, you know, overall, good issue. Yeah, it was a little bit of a rush. They could really could have uh, taken around some of those parts at the beginning where we were like, this seems like filler, and maybe made the ending a little more fleshed out. Maybe, uh, given scheduling deadlines... Um, Chris Claremont didn't have much time to do. In fact, I think I've even read that from occasion or from some articles where he would write his outline or whatever, maybe review it one more time, but that's it. And in some cases he wished he could go over it maybe a third or fourth time, but you know, boohoo got schedules. You don't feel bad for, for Mr. Claremont. (laughs) Um, no, not anymore. (laughs) Oh, okay. He's, he's had a good life. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So there, there you have it. Uh, X-Men issue number 200, uh, done in the can. And it is, uh, after this point that I kind of lose track of, like, I've read all these stories from 200 on, but for some reason I, I don't quite have them in memory as I do everything prior to this. I don't know why that is. I guess we'll find out. Yeah. So I was on iTunes today or yesterday or whatever day I did this. And um, I noticed that you could go to different countries and there's like 30 or 40 of them. And so I was scanning a couple of them. I did not scan all 30 or 40 of them because that would have taken forever. And um, and I noticed that there are a bunch of and I, I think we've done this before. But there are a bunch of uh, other countries that have left iTunes reviews that we never covered. So I pulled out the ones that i think we've never covered um we got some from the uk some from canada and one from japan oh my god everybody from outside of america we didn't even know you existed until just now <laughs> no just kidding seriously uh I, I guess i you know there's there's ebay in different countries but are separate listings there's amazon in different countries that have separate listings i i guess uh i'm yeah my eyes are opened. I guess it makes sense. It would sense be really that- nice if iTunes had some way that we could aggregate all of these and not have to like spend an hour logging into other versions of iTunes. But no. Yeah. But no such luck. So so yeah, there's a lot here, Adam. Yeah, there's there's a there's a few. Uh 
Great Replacement by Retro Cell. And this is from 2014. Brilliant podcast. Reluctantly sold my much-loved commas collection a few years ago. Regretted it almost instantly. These guys do a proper job of helping my nostalgic memory along with a few laughs. The voices are hilarious, and I'm considered drinking alcohol again to try a fastball special. Cheers, Neil from Cornwall, UK. It is a delicious drink. I don't know. Uh, I don't know if it's worth drinking alcohol again. I don't know what your backstory is. Yeah, and you're probably not even listening to the show anymore. So who knows? <laughs> uh, if you've been sober for a while and you're considering have a drink because of us, like just don't, don't, don't do that. <laughs> like, we don't want to be contributing to 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 any life issues. Uh, Comedy Dave, he writes, love it. Found this podcast a week ago. I'm hooked. It's it's presentation and banter between the hosts makes for a great podcast well that's from january 28th 2015 that's a that's a little later yeah. so i don't know do you want to do you want to like I, I i'm gonna keep looking up the, these up as we go do you want to do you want to save canada for next episode no we should do canada this episode okay well, then let's do all this <laughs> sure uh because i want to make sure that that our uh, uh our international audience is well represented and i oh well i'm planning on doing through these all the time now yeah, yeah. i mean as, as long as i don't forget we've uh, neglected you long enough from this day <laughs> forward you shall be well mentioned boogie i 38 says great x-men podcast this is from 2012 this this shows our commitment to making sure that your voice is heard this guy's definitely not listening to the podcast anymore. <laughs> those guys never mentioned me screw them what a great podcast funny and informative subjective 101 this has been a great listen after discovering the podcast, I've started to comb through the apps, starting from the beginning. Adam and Jeremy do a fine job of breaking down each and every issue, commenting with a sense of humor, but also a real love of the property. I cannot wait to see where this goes. I hope these gents continue for as long as possible. I am on episode 21 now, and after a few weeks listening, every chance I get, I can say that uh, has not only been getting better and better with each every episode, but becoming a natural part of public commuting and walks to my local comic shop. Well done. I hope you're still listening. Yeah. And we, we finally got to you. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> Here's another one from 2012. Uh, from B Brown 426. It's time well spent. He's enjoyed reading along with us guys and hearing our comments. And one uh, from uh, Left Arhithi from also from 2012. Good job, guys. And he says, or he or she says, I'll second that awesome. Yeah. And just to show that we're not holding anything back from 2011, please keep this show going. I've just recently got back into reading the old series, so this is a great companion. Thank you. Um, I guess I didn't realize that we've been around for five years now. Yeah. Yeah. This is, yeah. yeah. Holy moly. Well, well, we kept it going. Yeah. Hope just you're still you, around. Cirrhosis 34. <laughs> Nice, nice name. <laughs> yeah. Anyways, and then uh, we got one from Japan. Who I there were it was Japanese characters, which I don't even think was real Japanese. It was iTunes version, so I don't know what your name is. But you said love it. Peer pressure. That was probably us trying to get people to write us uh, uh, iTunes reviews. Oh, very much so. Oh, it says say, right there. Yeah. Next say after constant pleading from Adam and Jeremy, I've finally broken down and decided to write a review. Just kidding. Love the show. It's great to hear these two X-Men fans cover old issues. Keep it up, fellas. That was from August 29th of 2013. You were the only person who wrote a review in Japan. So thank you for that. Uh, yeah, well, Japan represent one time. <laughs> <laughs> so if you'd like to get in contact with us, whether you're in the United States or, or overseas, 
uh, do so by visiting us at www.xmenpodcast.com. Honestly, if you go there and you're from the, any part in the world and you leave a comment on an episode, we will get it and we will read it immediately. Same thing with facebook.com forward slash Danger Room Podcast. Uh, follow us at Danger Room Go on Twitter. You can email us. This was also going to work worldwide. Danger Room at redcapproductions.com. And iTunes, I guess, is where it gets a little tricky. Uh, but yeah, go out to iTunes. Into the podcast section, search up Danger Room, we're the first podcast that shows up. Or you can call us. Uh, I suppose international rates might be kind of a pain, so probably limit this to the U.S. That's 501-GET-X-MEN or 501-438-9636. And remember, our next five U.S. iTunes five-star reviews plus ratings. Wait, no, I guess five stars is a rating. Are going to get something. Yeah. Something... Something audible. Something. Not physical. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. So so that's something to look for. And uh, as always, our music has been provided by Laszlo Hollyfeld. So beyond that, I uh, feel like we've run a little long in the tooth. Well, this is a double-sized episode. Double-sized issue equals a double-sized episode. Wait, yeah. Yeah. Makes sense. So, uh, yeah. Anything else you want to add to this one, Adam? Put her, put her down. Put her to bed. Put shoot the dog (laughs) Uh, alright well then until next time my name is Jeremy my name is Adam and the danger room is closed